So we're starting here on the top of Mendalad and Aleph, but the Mishnah, the Mishnah says, A person can carry around a new lamp, but not a used lamp. You can carry any lamp, as long as it's not lit. But if it's lit on Shabbat, then you may not carry it around. Let's see why that is. You can t- carry around a new lamp, but not an old lamp. That's what we would expect from Rabbi Huda, who is the author of the position that there is muksa on Shabbat. The exception is a ner that was used that Shabbat. And then Rabbi Shimon Omer, only exception is something that is lit at the present time. So we go through the different shitot here. Rabbi Yehuda's issue is what we call muksa machmat mius, something that becomes disgusting. Once you've lit the lamp once and used the lamp, then there's oil over the lamp, and then it becomes something that you're not going to utilize during the day of Shabbat, and never becomes muksa. So that's why he differentiates between a ner chadash, a new lamp, which is obviously not ma'us, because it has yet to be used. You have yet to have oil in it. But a yashan, an older lamp, that you may not use, because that's already muksa machmat mius. On the other hand, Rabbi Meir says that the problem here is muksa machmat isur. Muksa that's generated here is because you used it for a purpose that you cannot do on Shabbat. For instance, having it lit. Once it's been lit on Shabbat, it's problematic. It doesn't have to be lit now, but once it has been lit, it's problematic, and that's muksa machmat isur. On the other hand, Rabbi Shimon says that there is no muksa. We know that. So he doesn't have an issue of mius. doesn't have an issue of isur. The only other thing he has a problem with is carrying around one that is lit on Shabbat. question of why that's problematic, either because shemi yichabeh, because maybe you'll extinguish it when you move it around, or whether it's basis ledevara asur. Different possibilities, but what the issue is with Rabbi Shimon. Okay, kavto, if it extinguishes, mutor letaltala. According to Rabbi Shimon, if it's extinguished, then you can carry it around because he doesn't have any of these issues of muksa. So as long as the candle's not lit, then you can carry it around. Aval. Kos vikara vashishit lo koman. So now, this is even according to Rabbi Shimon, when it comes to a cup, a bowl, or ashishit, as Rashi translates it, ashishit is a lampa, lamp, which is a glass lamp, lo koman. Then you may not move them at all. Rabbi Shimon Omer, says that you can take from the oil, from a candle that is burning out, and from the shemen that is dripping out of the lamp. That's the most extreme view that we've seen. But until now, Rabbi Shimon's been the most extreme view, which is, Rabbi Shimon says there's no muksa, and the only thing that he restricted was in that candle that was actually, or lamp that was actually lit. Then, we added over here some items where he says you may not move them. His son, Rabbi Shimon, goes to the extreme that you can take the oil out of the lamp while it's burning. Now, it's not fully burning. It's on its way to extinguishing. But you can take the oil out. That's something that we have not seen yet. That's because before we said that if you take out of the oil in the lamp, it's the equivalent of extinguishing the lamp. It's mechabeh b'shabat. So, Marabai, Rabbi Shimon, Elizabeth Rabbi Shimon holds like his father in one position, and he disagrees with him on another point. He holds of that extreme position of Rabbi Shimon that there is no muksa in Shabbat. He subscribes to that. And he argues with him on one point, 
that if it's extinguished, then you can use it. You can utilize the shaman, you can carry around the lamp, lokaba, but if it's not extinguished, no. And he thinks even while it's still lit, you can take some of the oil out of it, which is an amazing position. So as she says, since it's going downhill, it's starting to extinguish. There's no accelerated keyboy, according to Rabbi Lazarus So this is like an Omar we had in the Breitah before, which is that when it comes to a cup, a bowl, or this lamp, this glass lamp, then you can't move them, even according to Rabbi Shimon. Gemara wants to know, honey, what's so unique about these items that you may not move them? So, Amar Ula, on the Rabbi Huda. No problem. That's not from Rabbi Shimon's position. That's from Rabbi Yehuda's position. Then what do you mean? But, Rabbi Yehuda, this isn't the old muksa that he has. He already has, right. He would be an addition. That is Rabbi Shimon's position. The only time Rabbi Shimon says that you can use the oil that's the residual of a burning lamp, that is when you had in mind, coming into Shabbat, that you're going to utilize that oil. When's that? That's when you're talking about a small lamp. Of a honey de fiche, these larger lamps, then you don't think about the fact that they're going to burn out. Your assumption is with the larger lamps and the larger oil containers, that they're going to burn for the entire Shabbat. So they're not going to be within your world of Shabbat. You say, that oil that's going in there, I don't expect to use it. A small lamp, where you have expectations that it will burn out on Shabbat, then you have in mind that the leftover oil I want to use. But a lamp that you believe is going to burn for the entire Shabbat, you never have in mind to use the oil, because you don't expect the oil to be available to you during the Shabbat. So that's the difference, something that's a large quantity where you would have no consideration, you would fear it would burn the whole time. Over there we say, no, that you can't take from that oil because you didn't have it in mind. Small lamp, where you had expectations it would blow out, then you also have expectations to use the oil on Shabbat. That would be the difference in terms of view of Muqs of Rabbi Shimon with regards to these items. Again, it's interesting. I mentioned it yesterday, at the end of the daf yesterday, but Tosafot mentions the difference between Ner Hanukkah and Ner Shabbat here. It's an important distinction. By Ner Hanukkah, we have a din that if you have leftover oil, if you have leftover oil on the first night, use it on the second night. Second night, third night, until the end of Hanukkah, on the eighth day, if you have leftover oil, then you have to burn it. Bimidura. Why? Because it's Muqsa Mahmat Mitzvato. It was dedicated to the mitzvah. Since it was dedicated to the mitzvah, we don't allow you to use it for mundane matters. So if you have leftover oil, you got to burn it. Because we're not going to let you use it for divrei chol. Tosvades, why is there be a difference by Shabbos candles? By Shabbat, it's a mitzvah to light the Nerot Shabbat. So why is it that the leftover oil doesn't have that same status as Nerot Chanukah? It should be leftover oil from a mitzvah. It was dedicated to the mitzvah. You shouldn't be able to utilize that oil. So Ron is shaking his head. Tosvet says that they're different. Vomeri, the Ner Chanukah ikro lo toba. The major purpose of Ner Chanukah is not for your benefit, your personal benefit. It's all there to publicize the miracle. And because people love the miracle, I would say it differently, people love doing the mitzvah, you don't want it to burn out. You want it to burn as long as possible. You always think about the Ner Chanukah, the kids always sing, oh, is it still burning, is it still burning? The excitement of the Persumenitza is that the candle stays lit for the longest time possible. So therefore, you have in mind, Mekatsa the Gamri the Mitzvah. 
You don't think about, okay, when it burns out, I'm going to take the rest of the oil. You want it to burn until there is no oil left in there. You get no benefit from the light, but the light's there to publicize the miracle, and you want that to go for as long as possible. Although near Shabbat, the only reason you light candles for Shabbat is Bahanato. We've already discussed this, that Nero Shabbat are there for Shalom Bayit, for light by the meal. It's for your personal benefit. That he waits until it burns out. For instance, if he goes to sleep. If he goes to sleep, he has no interest in the Nero Shabbat being lit anymore. There's no extra excitement for him that the Nero Shabbat continue to be lit after he goes to sleep. Because they're there for his own benefit to see in the house. So when he goes to sleep, he's just as happy if they blow out at that time and leave the oil there. And that's the difference. mutar. Because of that, it's mutar. Nero Shabbat are built around the personal Hana'a. And since they're birthed around, built around the personal Hana'a, you have no benefit or added benefit in them burning for as long as possible. You only need them to burn as long as you need them. And your assumption is that there's more oil in there than you really need. And therefore, you're gonna, the extra oil, you're more than happy to benefit from. When you go to sleep, you hope it burns out so you can use that extra oil. But in Herod's Chanukah, it's the opposite. You don't get any benefit from them. Plus, the excitement is that they light for as long as possible. And therefore, your mindset is that they should be dedicated to the mitzvah completely. You hope that it burns till there's nothing left in the lamp. Oil, the oil is used towards the Pesumanisa. And because of that, there's a difference in the muksa of the oil for Nerot Shabbat versus Nerot Chanukah. So now the Gemara continues. Vatanya, have a brighter. Multara shemen shebener, b'shebekara. The leftover oil in a lamp and in a bowl, asur. Rabbi Shimon, matir. And Rabbi Shimon says it's fine. So you have a problem of kiara, kiara. We just said, according to Marzutra, that Rabbi Shimon is the author of that position in Brighta that we brought before, that Kara is problematic. Now we have Rabbi Shimon making an explicit statement that leftover Shemin in a Kara is perfectly fine. Where it says, look at the context. Hatam Kara Dumya Diner. The Brighta that we just brought, the comparison or the parallel in the Brighta is a lamp. Hocha Kara Dumya Dekos. In the previous Brighta that we mentioned, there the Kara is compared to a Coast to a cup. So you have to look in the context. The utensils that are mentioned in the Brighta were kos, kara, and ashishit, which are all large items. So we're going to assume that the bowl, the kara, fits with the other items there. And then we're talking about a large bowl. In a large bowl, then it has the same status as a kos and an ashishit. And then in the Brighta that we just brought, the other item mentioned is a nair. And there is a regular lamp. There you're talking about a bowl that compares to a regular lamp. We're talking about a small bowl. In a small bowl, you're right. Rabbi Shimon agrees that you look forward or anticipate it extinguishing because there's not a lot of oil in there. You don't expect it to burn for the whole Shabbat. And therefore, it has the same status as a lamp. So you have to look in the context that the kara bowls come in different sizes. So the bowl that's being mentioned in each case is parallel to the other items mentioned in the Brighta. So in the Brighta, what we brought originally, those are large items. So we're talking about a large bowl. The bright that we just brought, we're talking about smaller items, and therefore it's talking about a small bowl. Amar Rabbi Zera, Pamot, Shehidliko Bo Bishabbat. Pamot is a lantern, a candelabra. It's something that is more extensive in terms of its being used for light. If you light it on Shabbat, the Divrei HaMatir, according to the one who is Matir, it is Asur. Divrei HaUser, Mutar. According to the one who says it's Asur, it's Mutar. So now, the way Rashi explains it, the Divya Matir, who was the one who was Matir before? That was Rabbi Meir, according to Rashi. Rabbi Meir said that there's only Muksa Mahmat Isur, but there is no Muksa Mahmat Mius. So when you're talking about a Ner Yashan, anything like that, there 
there's no problem in terms of using it or utilizing it on Shabbat, because he doesn't have or subscribe to this position of Muqsa Mahmat Mius. On the other hand, he does have Muqsa Mahmat Isur. So over here, when you're talking about this Pamot, this large candelabra, so if you lit it for Shabbat, even though Rabbi Meir believes there's no Muqsa Mahmat Mius, he does believe that there's Muqsa Mahmat Isur. And since you lit this candelabra, that's enough to put it into the category of muksa that you may not utilize it. On the other hand, the Divya Oser, the Oser here is Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says that there's a problem of Ner Yashan, there's a problem of muksa Machmat Mius, but according to Rashi, does not believe that there is a problem of muksa Machmat Isur. Over here, we're talking about a Pamot. A Pamot is a Ner Shomatechet. It's metallic. It's not like what we assume by the other lamps, that they're made out of Klicheres, they're made out of clay. They're made out of clay and the oil gets on them, then they become disgusting. And that's why Rabbi says that there's a problem of a muksa. But over here by the pamot, which is made out of metal, like the choshet, Rashi says, and doesn't absorb the oil, it doesn't become disgusting. And there's no muksa makhmat miyust. Rabbi is going to say that it is mutar to carry such a candelabra. So you have a reversal of the, according to Rashi of the positions of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi Yudah subscribes to muksa makhmat miyust, not isur. And the other Rabbi Meir is just the opposite. He thinks that there is no muksa makhmat miyust, but there is muksa makhmat isur. So the positions versus klicheres will reverse here when we're talking about a candelabra. On the other hand, Tosafot believes it's not the case, that's not the way to read this, right? Uh? Where's Rabbi Shimon? What happened to Rabbi Shimon on the whole of this? We know that there is Rabbi Shimon's position. He's disappeared here when the Gemara is discussing it. The way Tosafot reads it is, the Divrei Amatir is not according to Rabbi Meir, but rather that the Divrei Amatir is Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon who says, normally it's mutar, Bipamot, he says it's no good. Because we're talking about a pamot gadol, like the coast, the kara, shishit. We're talking about a large utensil, large lighting candelabra. Because of that, it has the same thing we saw before, that you don't have anticipation that it's going to extinguish on Shabbat. Therefore, it's going to be muksit. So Rabbi Shimon, who generally is matir, you to use the leftover oil and to move the nair. It's only true when you had anticipation that it would extinguish on Shabbat. The large items like coast, kara, and shishit, and now we're adding to that pamot, those items we don't anticipate it. So it's Rabbi Shimon. The Divrei Matir is going to Rabbi Shimon. Now the Divrei Oser, those that are Oser, that's both Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir were Oser before by the Ner Klicheres. They were both Oser by Cheres that you lit on that Shabbat. But that's only by Cheres. Because there you have two problems with the Ner Cheres. You have Muksa Machamat Mius and Muksa Machamat Isur. You have both of them. Yeah, both the fact that it's disgusting now and the fact that it was lit and has Isur. But over here by Nermatechet, they say it's okay because Nermatechet only has one of the two problems, which is that it has a problem of Isur, but not the problem of Mius. So then the Gemara asks, Vatanya, Rabbi Yudomer, Kolan Erod Shomatechet, Mitaltalin, Chutz, Menir, Shidliku, Bobi Shabbat. Rabbi Yehuda says that all the Nerot of Matechet can use them except for and there unless it was used that Shabbat, which is our case here. You're using a pamot shidliku b'Shabbat. So here it's clearly clear that Rabbi Yehuda thinks that there's a problem over here. Now that's the girsa according to Rashi. Rashi said before that the matir is Rabbi Meir, and the oser is Rabbi Yehuda. That means Rabbi Yehuda thinks by pamot that it's mutar. And here the Gemara comes to challenge that and say, what do you mean? How can you say that Rabbi Yehuda says that matachet is okay? We have an explicit brayta that Rabbi Yehuda says it's not okay. On the other hand... The way Tosafot is going to read it is that the bright to here brought is not 
Only. Rabbi Yehuda, but rather it's Rabbi Meir as well. Rabbi Meir. That Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Meir says that by Rabbi Yehuda, Meir says that you can't use Ner Shomatecha because he believes that there is Muksa Machmat Isur, which we saw before. So why should there be any dispensation to use a metallic candelabra if Rabbi Meir believes that there's Muksa Machmat Isur? Eliitmar Hachitmar. If you want to have the positions laid out, this is the way you should say it. Everybody agrees that it's a sur. This is one of the things that drives Tosafot to say that Rabbi Shimon's included here because divrei means sounds like everyone. Everyone means Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Shimon. According to Rashi, Rabbi Shimon doesn't appear here. How do you have divrei akol? Divrei akol asur alav. If you did not light it, divrei mutar. Then everybody agrees it's mutar. So here, if it's lit, everybody agrees that it's a sur. Because everybody subscribes to the fact that there's Muksa Mahmatisur. That is both Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda as well. Everybody holds Muksa Mahmatisur. Plus, Rabbi Shimon says it's a large lamp, or a large candelabra, and therefore he believes that you don't have it in mind and you can't utilize it. So everybody agrees that it's a sur. Loid Likualav. If he didn't utilize it, then everybody agrees that it is Mutar. If he didn't light it, there's no Muksa Mahmatisur. In addition to that, you have Rabbi Yehuda who thinks that there's Muksa Mahmat Miyus when it's disgusting, but you're dealing with metal, so there is no din of Muksa Mahmat Miyus. If that's the case, everybody thinks that that candelabra can be carried around or utilized on Shabbat for whatever other reason it is that you use it. It's pretty clear here from the Gemara that when we're talking about Ner or Klicheres, that that's solely dedicated to use as a lamp. There's no other utilization of it or no other usage for it. And then when you deal with these metallic candelabras or this pomod, the Gemara seems to think that there are other alternatives to lighting. And that you would use it. Otherwise, what's the point that he can carry it around on Shabbat? What are you going to use it for? Unless it's a light. So the Gemara obviously feels that there's something else that they do with it. It doesn't tell you what, but the Gemara feels that there is something else that it has a purpose for on Shabbat. If you have a bed that was dedicated to put money down on it, one may not carry it on Shabbat. Now dedicated this bed to become a basis or a base for something that is Muqsah on Shabbat. Since you've designated it to be utilized for Muqsah on Shabbat, taking away the ability to use it for its, what we would call it, its normal purpose, which is laying down on the bed, or sitting on the bed. You've now dedicated it for some other usage. Now we're talking about mita here, we're not talking about like a large bed, like our beds to go to sleep on, but these couches, or surfaces that were in the house. So here, this surface, instead of now being used for sitting on, is now going to be used for putting items down on so here they put their money down. It's the equivalent of a console when you walk into the house. They put the items down on this couch that they had there. So this mitah is dedicated for holding items that are muksa. You may not carry it on Shabbat. Tosfot says that he thinks Even for Tzorach Kufa, Tzorach Mekoma, which is generally a dispensation when you have a Klishu Maktoli Yisur, cannot do that. Why? Because he lost any Tashmish whatsoever. And he compares it to the Chatzot Zrot. If you remember back in Daf Lamed Avav Lamed Aleph, we had the Shofar versus the Chatzot And over there, the difference between the Shofar and the Chatzot was that, according to Rabbi Yehuda, they were both problematic, the Shofar and the Chatzot But by the Shofar, you were allowed to use it for Tzarek Kufo Utzarek Mikhomo. On the other hand, the Chatzot you weren't allowed to use at all. And Tosvot there differentiated between something that had an alternative use versus something that has no real alternative use. By Shofar... The Gemara there said that you can use it to feed a baby with the Gamea Tatinov. Therefore, it has an alternative use that is somewhat common. 
something that people would do with it. And because of that, you can use it for Tzarek Kufo and Tzarek Mikomo. On the other hand, when it came to the Chatzot's Rot, maybe you could use it for something else. But it was such a remote possibility that we consider it to be Muxalagamre, and you can't even use it for Tzarek Kufo and Tzarek Mikomo. And that's what Rabbi Yehuda is going to be saying over here in this type of muksa. Now the Rabbi Shimon does not oser any muksa for Tzarek Gufo Gumo, or muksa machmat kisirun kis. The only thing Rabbi Shimon says you can't use for Tzarek Gufo and Tzarek Mekomo is muksa that happens because of the expensiveness, the uniqueness of the item, and therefore you won't use it on Shabbat for any alternative because it's too expensive. The example we gave is you have an expensive camera, you're not going to use that as a doorstop. So you can't pick it up at Tzarek Gufo and Tzarek Mekomo, even Rabbi Shimon agrees to that. But Rabbi Shimon here will clearly say that it's not a problem. Rabbi Yehuda, who says generally when you have a kli shumlach toldi isur, then you can use it for tzarek kufo, tzarek makomo. That's only true when the item still has alternative uses on Shabbat that are normal. Here, where you dedicate the bed to be used for money, you've eliminated the other use. You've said, I've now taken this out of the purview of this bed. By doing that, you make it into like the chatzot's rot, which only have one use, to blow a horn on Shabbat, the trumpet on Shabbat. Yeah, they have other remote possibilities, but they're just so far removed that there is no Tzarek Gufu and Tzarek Makoma that's left in this item. That's what Tosfot says, describes it here. So now the Gemara says, Meitevei Rav Nachman Be'yitzchok, Rav Nachman Be'yitzchok challenges this from our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says, Mitaltele Ner Chadash Avalo Yashan. You can carry a new lamp, but not an old lamp. Now Rashi says, what is the question, what's the deal here out of the Mishnah? It says, Mitakamar Aval, Lo Yashan, Velo Ktani Aval Lo Yimiyuchadakach. The Mishnah had a different option. It could have said, you may carry a ner chadash, a new lamp. You may not carry a lamp that's dedicated for usage, that you already had in mind to use. And that would have been a nice distinction. That's not the distinction the Mishnah draws. The Mishnah draws a distinction between a new lamp and a used lamp, which would eliminate this middle piece, which is a something that you've dedicated already, which is the case that we're speaking about here. This is Rabbi Yudam that's speaking about Yichda Lama'ot. He has yet to use the bed for money. He dedicates it, designates it for money. That's sufficient to make the muksa. He hasn't done it yet. Right, even though he hasn't done it. Yet the Mishnah skips that step. It either has used or not used. It doesn't have any step where I say it's not used, but I'm going to use it for. That the Mishnah doesn't have. That's what Rashi says the question of the Mishnah is. On the other hand, Tosafot says that the question is not based on that diuk, but rather, near the re, the lo dai klau mektani avalo yashan, el diuka is davka benir shocheres hu, the kamar. That's only by our Mishnah is talking about a lamp that is made out of cheres, that's made out of clay. That's what I mentioned to you before. When it comes to a lamp that is made out of cheres, there's no other purpose for such a lamp or for that item. You're not going to use it for anything else. It's the equivalent of yichud up front. But making a clay lamp, what have you said? That this is a lamp. Because as soon as you light it once, it's going to be disgusting, and you know that already. So that's almost an automatic dedication to be a ner or a lamp because there's really no other alternative. And it has no other purpose. This is what I mentioned to you before. It's clear the Gemara believes that when it comes to cheres, a lamp made out of cheres, it only has one purpose. Even if it possibly had a different usage, but when you make it, we know what you're going to use it for. The difference being that a clay lamp, the only time you would use it for an alternative is before you've lit it once. 
So there's a very, very small window of opportunity where you would use a clay lamp for an alternative purpose. That's between the time you make it and the first time you light it. So that little window, you could use it for something else. Once you've lit it, there's no chance you're going to use it for anything else because it's disgusting. It's all covered in oil. And therefore you won't use it. So if that's the case, nobody really considers using a clay lamp for any other purpose. They're simply going to use it as a lamp because they didn't think about, oh, I have that one minute or a couple minutes, but between the time it's finished and the time I light it, that they're not considering. By metallic lamps, that's not the case. Because even after it's lit, you can still use it. It doesn't become nimesit. It doesn't become disgusting even after the fact. That means that you, the alternative usages can be both before you use it the first time and after you use it the first time. And that's why the Tosafot says that the question from the Mishnah is not about the diuk of aval. The diuk from the Mishnah is that our Mishnah is only talking about cheres. It's only talking about clay. So that's the question of the Gemara over here. Umar ner de avido, a ner that is made for this purpose, kilo idigba shari. When you don't light it, it's mutar, the tautala, the tiltala. Then you're allowed to carry it around. By a bed whose purpose is not for money, it certainly should be allowed. So over here again in our Mishnah, our Mishnah has Hasmana built into it. Rashi says it's a diok. Because the Mishnah skipped the point of Hasmana. Skipped the point of Hasmana and said, well, you go from new lamp to old lamp. There's no Hasmana. It means that the Mishnah doesn't consider Hasmana at all. That's the question. Tosafot says, no, the fact that the Mishnah says that if it's a new lamp, you're allowed to use it, even though we know clay lamps are made simply to be lit. They're made. That's their only purpose, is to be lit. Despite the fact that they're only made to be lit, nevertheless, you're allowed to use it. So that's equivalent of being miyached something, and yet you could still use it for something else, as long as it's new. So how could there, by Nair, whose whole purpose is for lighting, and yet, when you don't use it yet, you can move it around a bed, whose purpose is not for money, and yet when you dedicate it for money, why shouldn't you still be able to use it? You have to revamp this. A bed that was dedicated for money. Then you place money on it, then you may not move it. If you don't put money on it, the dedication itself is not sufficient to make it muksa. On the other hand, if you do not dedicate it to be used for money, if it has money on it, then you can't carry it. If there's no money in it, mutar the tautala. And that's only true if the money was not on the bed, bena shmashot, coming into the twilight area. What? Right. What's the difference between yichda and lo yichda? Yeah, because It's clear that the last part has to do with the bena shmashot, which is that money being on a bena shmashot has impact on the bed. So if you have a bed that has, that was yichda lemaot, that you designated for maot, and then a niach and then you put money on it, that money does not have to be on it on Shabbat. Meaning that there is no time frame in which you place the money on it. If you were not miyached the bed for maot, then if it got onto the bed on Shabbat, then there will be a problem for that bed. It will be muksa on Shabbat. And that will be the difference between them. Tosafot points out otherwise. If they were on it before daytime, then they both have the same din, which is that if it, money's on it, going into twilight, then it's muksa for the whole day. That's the principle that we've uh, mentioned before. That migo did the Since it's muksa during twilight, it katsa the kuliyoma. It becomes muksa for the whole day. So if there's money on it coming into benesh mashot, it's automatically muksa for the entire Shabbat, because you can't take away the shame muksa on Shabbat. And that's true whether it was designated or not designated to be a money bed. That doesn't matter. On the other hand, if the money ends up on it on Shabbat, it'll make a huge difference whether 
it's dedicated or not dedicated. If it's dedicated to be for Ma'ot, and Ma'ot end up on Ein Shabbat, that's Muqsa. It's fulfilling its purpose. It was supposed to be for Ma'ot, and now it has its Ma'ot on it. Once it becomes Muqsa, you're done. On the other hand, if it was not dedicated to be for Ma'ot, then if that money comes off of it after it's been on Ein Shabbat, then you would be able to move it. That's what Tosfot says. It's a case where the money was placed on Ein Shabbat, and Niach mi Ba'ot Yom, if it was placed on there before sunset, even once the money is removed from the bed on Shabbat, it doesn't help you. Because once it was designated as muksa ben you can't take that away. It's muksa now. And then Tosfat asks the obvious question, well then, how do you get money on it on Shabbat? How does the money get on there? And then Jew puts it down on the bed. Oh, Tinok, right, that a young child places it down. It can't just be knocked off. It has to be something where it was intentionally placed on there. So that's what Tosfat says here, the Dat Yisrael. The Goy put it down with the knowledge of the Jew. The Jew has to be involved. Whatever the, the circumstances, but it has to be that you're there and you know about it, because otherwise it's the equivalent of Shokeach. He's putting it down without your knowledge. That's the equivalent of forgetting it on the bed. So now, with Mark, continues, Amarula. Meitiv Rabbi Eliezer. So Rabbi Eliezer, or the other possibly is Rabbi Elazar. Muchni shela. Bismanchi nishmetet ein chibula. Ve'en nimderet ima. Ve'en metzelet ima be'olamet. Ve'en gorino ta b'shabbat. Bismanchi yishalaya ma'ot. There's money in it. Ha'en alaya ma'ot. Doesn't have money in it. Sharia. Then it's mutar. Afagav davalea ben ashmashot. Even though it was on there, ben ashmashot. What's going on here? So this is a Mishnah from Kelim. Kelim, which the name of the Mesechta is, discusses different types of utensils, how they're mekabal tumah, and what is mekabal tumah within the Kelim. The Mishnayot, the Mesechta Kelim, are divided up into different materials. Because different materials have different dinim. The Mukhni Shalah, as Rashi points out, is found in the category or the section on kliates, on wooden items. Because Rashi brings from others, or from his Rebbeim, a klicheres, clay utensil, and a clay utensil, and Rashi rejects that, because it's categories. It's very clear in Kelim where items are found. And this is found in the section that deals with kliates. So that's our first step. Here we're talking about a wooden utensil. What wooden utensil are we speaking about? Rashi says here that it is an agalashal eitz. It's a wooden wagon. Mugafet michitzot that has walls around it, or has some sort of perimeter, the Merkav Anashim Vinashim, men and women ride on. Carriage or wagon of some sort, that's, what we're talking about here is this wagon, this wooden wagon, and Mukhni Shela is the wheel. The Mukhni is the wooden wheels that are on the side that the carriage rides on, meaning that the carriage is a box of some sort, that either cover, not covered, whatever it is, it's a box, and then you have the wheels that are attached on the side to allow the carriage to move. So what we're speaking about here is Mukhni Shela, that is the wheel of the carriage. So now let's understand the Mishnah this way. If the wheel can be taken out, they're not talking about a case of an axle necessarily. We're talking about here where there's some sort of hole inside the side of the carriage in which the wheel inserts. So if it's Nishmetet, if it comes out, it's not considered to be an attached. It's not considered to be one with the wagon. So, Enchiburla means that if one of the items becomes Tamei, the other one doesn't automatically become Tamei. They're seen as two separate Kelim. Ve'en nimdedet ima. It's not measured with it, which is that we have a principle, we've seen this earlier in the Mesechta, that Kliyetz is compared to a sack. Kliyetz is compared to a bag, and in a bag, we said that it has to be something that is Nital Malei Vereikan. has to be carried both full and empty. The whole purpose of a sack is that it can be lifted or taken. So if you can carry it full and empty, then it has a din of a kli. 
It cannot be carried when it's full. It's too big. It's too big. It's no longer a kli. And it's not mekabel tumah. That is also true by kliates. We saw the threshold for that. The threshold for that is that something that's machzik mem sa'ah. 40 sa'ah belach in liquids, which is kurayim, 60 sa'ah biyavish. So if it holds that quantity, then it's no longer a keli. Now you have to figure out, how do I measure that? How do I measure whether this keli can hold that much in materials? Is the wheel included in that calculation? Or is the wheel not included in that calculation of the size of the item? So that's what the next line was. Ein If the wheel slips out, ein It's not measured along with it. It's not counted towards the memsa'a or the two kurayim to make it into a non-kli. Rashi says over here is not talking about a house in which there's a corpse. If you have a house in which there's a corpse, there's nothing to speak about because the roof of the house is also over the wagon itself. So anything that's in the wagon is also going to become tamay. There's nothing to speak about. What we're talking about here is going into something like Beit Farot, going into a cemetery. When you go into the cemetery where the tumah is rising from underneath, there is no roof above the tumah. The wagon itself can act as an ohel. And we know that an O has two functions. A OL or a tent or a roof has two functions. One function is that it spreads Tumah. Anything under the roof becomes Tameh. So if there's a common roof over a mate and someone else or some other item, everything becomes Tameh because the roof spreads the Tumah. What the roof also does is Mafsikat Tumah. It stops Tumah from passing past the OL. The OL is the stopping point for the Tumah. And anything beyond that OL will not be Tameh. So over here, if you have this wagon... The wagon itself is off the ground. It's a roof, basically, to things that are underneath it. It becomes a cover because it has more than a tefach of space between it and the ground. A minimum size of an ohel is a tefach cubed. And there is a space of tefach cubed below the wagon. That means that anything that's above the wagon will not become tameh. So when you're in Beit Varot, if you're in a cemetery, uh, yeah, even though if the hood, as long as the hood is limited to the wagon itself. If there's a larger roof, then that's the problem. That's what Rashi just mentioned. We're not talking about a house where there's a mate because the larger roof and then will spread the Tumah. But here, that wagon itself will become a roof over the Tumah. And anyone who's on top of that will not be Tameh because they are beyond the Tumah, beyond the Ohel. They're above the tent, above that which is covering the Tumah. So that's what it means here that Ein Matzelati Mate means that the wagon itself does cover it. But the wheel itself will not be part of the ohel. The wheel itself is not considered the ohel. And therefore items on top of the wheel will become tameh. Because the wheel itself doesn't function like an ohel. And if you have kilim that stick over the side of the wagon that are over the wheel, the wheel will not protect those items like the wagon does. And that's what the Mishnah means so far. That mukh its wheel has bismanchi nishmetet, if it slides out, the wheel slides out. Number one, enu chibur. It's not considered one item for two more to pass between them. Ena nivdedet It's not measured with it for that minimum size to make it into something that is not considered to be a kli. Where it doesn't protect over a mate, it doesn't protect the items that are above it, the wheel. And you cannot drag it on Shabbat. At a time that there is money on top of it. So if the wheel has money on it, then you can't drag that wheel on Shabbat. So that's what the, obviously the Gemara is after, is this one piece here. I mean, right. The Mishnah is talking about that but the wheel is, is attached, but has the possibility to detach. You have other items that go in the wagon, so therefore you have stuff that's mutar and asur, you'll be able to move the wagon. Over here where it's on the mukhni, which it's only now, it's carrying the money, and has no other purpose in terms of heter, carrying heter, 
then you can't move it. So when you move the wagon and move the wheel, you can't do that anymore. But the real problem is the wheel, not the wagon. The only way to move the wheel is to move the wagon. All right, so now the Gemara makes a deal out of this, which is, that's only true when there's money on it. It's mutar. Even though it was on it, Benesh Mashot. That Mishnah doesn't address the fact of Benesh Mashot. How come over here we say Benesh Mashot, that designates it as Muksa, there's nothing to talk about. Yet here we have a Mishnah from Kalim which says as long as there was money on it at some point, that's enough to make it problematic. Gemara says, Hi Rabbi Shimoni. That's author Rabbi Shimon, the late Muksa. Don't worry, the Mishnah in Kalim is talking about Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon doesn't have Muksa, so then Benesh Mashot doesn't make a difference. But, obviously, when the money is on it, on Shabbat, then that's not useful. They are useless items, even according to Rabbi Shimon. Money has no purpose on Shabbat. You can't use it. It's not like it's a keli. It's not like it has any utilization or any value on Shabbat. And since it's like a rock on Shabbat, it's like there's nothing to it that makes it valuable on Shabbat. Therefore, you can't move it as long as the money's still on it. If the money's on it, you can't move it because it has no purpose on Shabbat. If it had something else on it that was muksa, but it had purpose on Shabbat, then you can move it because there's no din in muksa. So that's why Rabbi Shimon will be the author of the Mishnah. Anyway, that's the way Rashi explains this Mishnah in Kelim. The Riva and the Rabbeinu Tam disagree with Rashi. The way they explain it, they both have different ways of explaining it. Let's start with the Rabbeinu Tam. The Rabbeinu Tam is just easier. He says that a muchni cannot be a wheel because who puts money on a wheel? Right? Like who sticks money on top of a wheel? That doesn't seem like a normal place to place money. So then the Rabbeinu Tam says that it's the basis, the sheda munachalav. You have a base for the item. So you have the upper piece, which is larger keli, and then it has a hole on the bottom. Then that hole sits on top of a base, which is the muchni. The muchni is the base. That's what you have, for instance, in the mishkan, with the kior. There's the kior, and kano is the base. Kior sits onto the kan on the base. So he says that's the equivalent over here. What we're talking about here is an item that sits on the mukhni. Mukhni is this base. Now this base has a protrusion in it, and the keli above has a hole in it. And then you place the hole onto the item. The question is, how does that affect the hole? That hole can allow tuma to enter into the item. When it's sitting on the base, and the base fills that hole, has that plugged the hole? Does that remove the hole from allowing tuma to enter into this keli? And that's the question here. Well, if it's removable or not removable. Removable or not removable will make a difference as to whether it is mivatel, sotem the hole, or whether it's not sotem the hole. Now, if it covers the whole hole, there's nothing to discuss. If it blocks, if it fits perfectly and there's no gapping, then of course it fills the hole and there's nothing to talk about. If there's any gapping, that's the question. Before it was a larger space. Now this protrusion out of the base makes the hole smaller. So the area that's left is not big enough to technically let Tuma through it. But, is that right? Does the piece that's sticking in remove the status of this hole? And that's the question of the mission over here. That's the way the Rabbeinu Tam explains it. The Riva does the same thing like Rashi's explanation. He says that at a time at a wheel, a wheel that has a hole that it inserts into, does that wheel, when you insert into the hole, does that plug the hole and not allow Tuma to enter into the wagon? Even if it's a covered wagon, it's a completely covered wagon, which is protected from Tuma entering it. It's a klicheres, samid patil. There's no Tuma can get into it, but there's this one hole that lets Tuma in it. That hole is plugged by the wheel. So again, if the wheel fills the whole hole, there's nothing to talk about. But if the wheel is slightly loose in there, like you were saying before, that it has to be able to move, so it is loose in there. That empty space, now do we say that the hole is plugged entirely, and the empty space is too small to let Tuma in? Or... Is it not Batel? And there Tuma can go in there. And that's what the Mishnah is speaking about according to both of them. 
A case where is the hole plugged or not plugged? That's the discussion here. The other note that the remakes is that it has to be a case where it's a wagon that people do not sit in. If the people sit in the wagon, then it's what's called tumat midras. Tumat midras does not have the limitation of being too big. Too big is only true when it's something that's carried around, when you're carrying kelim and other items. Not when you carry people. When you carry people already, there's no such thing as being too big. And Tosra points out, as we said before, that the difference between the wheel itself and the wagon is if it's when it's a wheel by itself, you can't carry it because it's the only purpose, the only thing that's on it is Yisur. If it's the wagon itself, which is dedicated for Yisur and head there, over there it's mutar to move it around. That's just the notes of Tosvot. Now the Gemara says, Virav You're saying that this is Rabbi Shimon the Mishnah. And Rav himself, who does he hold like? Rav holds like Rabbi Yehuda. We've seen this a number of times in Masechet Shabbat, that Shmuel paskins like Rabbi Shimon, and Rav paskins like Rabbi Yehuda. So the author of the Mishnah over here in Kelim is Rabbi Shimon. So that doesn't bother Rav, because Rav's position is developed, Amar Yehuda Marav was developed around Rabbi Yehuda, around the Isur of Muksa. So now the Gemara says, Hachanami Mistavro. That makes a lot of sense. The Rav, Rabbi Yehuda, Svirle. The Rav holds like Rabbi Yehuda. Damarav, minifim nera gabe dekel b'shabbat. One can place a lamp on a palm tree on Shabbat. Vein minifim nera gabe dekel b'yom tov. But you can't place a lamp on yom tov onto the palm tree. Because, what's the difference? When you place a lamp on Shabbat, it's there and it's not coming off. It's muksa and you're never going to move it. So we don't care about the tree anymore. On Yom Tov, if you place it on the tree, once the lamp extinguishes, you can move it. You're allowed to move a lamp on Yom Tov. You're allowed to light a lamp on Yom Tov. So then what are you going to do? You're going to come to utilize the tree. Then on Yom Tov, and the tree is Muqsa, and we don't want you to get near it. So what do you see? That's why there's a difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov. What's the difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov in that case? Because Rabbi Shimon doesn't think there's any muksa, whether it's Shabbat or Yom Tov. So there should be no difference. The fact that he differentiates between Shabbat and uh, Yom Tov, that shows us that Rab subscribes to the position of Rabbi Yudah. Tosfat asked the obvious question, which is, We already had earlier in our Masechta, that Rab holds like Rabbi Yudah. We see it all over the place. So why is it here that Mar is looking for that Rab holds like Rabbi Yudah? So he says over here that they were looking for the fact that Savak Rabbi Yudah immediately katsay ben where do we find that something that Ben Hashemashot becomes muksa for the whole day? Where do we find that Rav has that position like Rav Yehuda? And that's why it's looking for a very specific statement of Rav like Rav Yehuda. Okay, we'll stop over here.